to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. This morning, I want to just add on and build on what Andre uh, has shared in the last few weeks. And hopefully, I know I'll be as good as uh, my brother in the front and share a few thoughts that uh, would help you in your journey to soul prosperity. So before I dive into my subject matter, I'll, I'll try to structure my message like Andre so that there is no confusion. All right, so that you know, we are on the same track. But before I go into what I want to talk about this morning, I think it's good for us to do some revision. Um, and especially when exams, uh, you know, it's coming up, and next week there'll be a test. So we need to do some revision this morning, and I'll give you some tips to the test next week so that you wouldn't fail your, your test. That's what my teachers did when I was in poly. So let's do some revision this morning. So the soul is your inner unseen world. We all, we all agree that. We can't see it, but it's the inner unseen world. And we learned in the last few Sundays that your soul is the deepest part of you. It's the deepest part of you. Let me just say this, that you are not a body with, with a soul. You are a soul with a body. You are not a body with a soul. Your body is just your external expression, but you are a soul with a body. So your external world is a reflection of your internal world. So what is happening on the inside shows itself on the outside. And let me say this, as, as a Christian or as a person, the health of your soul is the difference between a deep and satisfied spiritual life and a restless faith, a faith that lacks passion. That's the difference. If you have got a healthy soul, your faith in God is deep, it's full, it's satisfying, your life is full, you live the abundant life that Jesus promised in John 10.10, 10, that He has come to give you life and life more abundantly. But if your soul is unhealthy, then friends, uh, no matter how excited Andre is, no matter how much espresso he drinks on a Sunday morning, you will be in your seat lacking passion, lacking zeal, lacking hunger for the Lord. It is not what happens in the front, it's not what uh, sermon that we speak, it is what happens on the inside. Amen? That's, and that's the state of your, your soul. See, friends, the fact is this. Sooner or later, your world will fall apart. Ouch. It is true. A phone call, a text message, an email from the boss. Sooner or later, your world will fall apart. What will matter then, friends, is the soul you have constructed. It's the soul you have constructed. If your soul is healthy, listen, no external circumstance can destroy your life. But if your soul is un unhealthy, no external factors can redeem you, can help you when your world collapses. It is the state of your soul. The most important thing in life is not what you do, is who you become. And I think the problem that we are facing in the world is this, that our world has replaced the word soul with the word self. Our world has replaced the word soul with the word self. And can I say that they are not the same thing? They are different. Soul formation is different from self-help. 
I'll say it one more time. Soul formation is different from self-help. You can go to a bookstore and in MPH or Popular or different bookstores, there's a section called self-help and you can take all the books and you can read them all you want. Self-help section. And some of us love that, that section. Tony Robbins was in Singapore recently. All right, And it's full house. More than 10,000 people were at the Singapore Expo. I think they're competing with KI. Uh, and you see people jumping up and down, walking on fire, not water, I want to say fire on water, but they walk through fire and they're all pumped up. Now, that's, and, and Tony Robbins is a self-help guru. And people are flocking to his meetings or they're paying millions for him to be their life coach because people are trying to help themselves. But listen carefully, church. Listen carefully. The more focused we are on ourselves, the more we neglect our souls because there are two different things. Soul formation is different from self-help. And when your world collapses, a soul that's well-constructed will declare this, I call it all joy when trials come my way. And only a healthy, whole, solid soul can say that. Because when trials come your way, and as I said, you can't schedule a test. You can't schedule a trial. You can't schedule a crisis. They, they come un, unannounced, unexpected, a phone call, an email. But when you receive a negative report externally, a strong soul will say, Praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is well with my soul. I count it all joy when trials come my way. Amen? That's a well-constructed soul. And that's what Jesus uh, demonstrates to us when the storm was raging around him. He was still asleep in the storm. Why? Because the soul is much bigger. The soul, the peace within him, the reality that he's, he's aware to is, is more than the storm that, hap- that's ha- that is happening around him. Amen? A soul that is free and whole, a well-constructed soul, will stand any test, any trial that will come your way. Amen. So your soul is your inner unseen world. And we also learned in the last few Sundays that your soul has needs. And only God can meet those needs. Your soul has needs that only God can meet. It's important, friends, that you get this. All right. So this morning, say it's, it's important. You get this. You, you are so made by God, made for God, and made to need God. It's very important that you, that you get this. You are so made by God, made for God, and made to need God. Which means you are not supposed to be self-sufficient. Amen? You are so that's made to need God. You were not made to be self-sufficient. In fact, the neediness of the soul is a reflection of our need for God. It points towards a maker that is much bigger, a, 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 a master of the universe that, 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 that wants to be involved with our lives. And, and the need of our soul points towards our need for God. Amen. It points towards that. When, when I was growing up, I heard a preacher say that, we, that our soul has a God-shaped vacuum only God can fill. And that's so true. That inside my inner world, there's a vacuum that no matter what I try to fill it, no matter whether it's money or power or fame or status or popularity or different things, to fill that void, it can't be filled because it, it, it is a God-shaped vacuum 
Only God can fail. See, we are limited in virtually every way. Our intelligence, our strength, our energy, our morality in every area of our lives. If you live life long enough, and I'm a young man, 40 plus years old, but I've lived 40 years of my life to know that I'm limited in many ways. And the older you get, the more real that fact becomes. You used to be able to jump out of bed, now you take an extra step. Amen? So it, it, and, uh, and it's because you lack exercise. <laughs> but it is true that we are limited in virtually every way. But you know what? There's only one area where human beings are unlimited. Do you know that? We are unlimited in our desires. No matter how old you get, no matter how, how, how mature you have become, we are unlimited with our desires. We always want more. We want more time. We want more wisdom. We want more revelation, more knowledge. We want um, more joy, more beauty, more funny YouTube videos, more friends on Facebook or Instagram, more shares. We want more. There's virtual, there's this unlimited desire within us and that's the cry of the soul. We never have enough. And the truth is this. Listen, the soul's infinite capacity to desire, can I suggest to you, is, is, is the mirror image of God's indefinite capacity to give. Let me repeat that. The soul's indefinite capacity to desire is a mirror I- it's a mirror image to, the, to, to God's infinite capacity to give. I think it's good too. And so can I suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that the real reason we feel like we've never have, we don't have enough yet, can I suggest to you, perhaps it is that God has not yet finished giving to us. The hunger for more of God because there is more He wants to give us. The hunger for more revelation because there's more revelation He wants to give us. The hunger for, for, for more connection because God wants to give us all these things. He's a giver. For God so loved all He gave. God is the infinite giver which is why He gave us infinite capacity to receive. Amen. And a healthy soul learns to receive freely and give freely. That's a, that's a healthy soul. Somebody say Amen. See, the unlimited neediness of the soul matches the unlimited grace of God. Wow. Every Sunday as I, as, as I stand here, not sit here, stand here in worship, that's the posture. God, I open my arms because I want to receive from you. I'm like an empty cup. I know, God, you filled me up this morning in my prayer time, last night as I read the scriptures. But God, there is more. There is more in the house and I want to receive more from you. And that's okay. It's okay, listen, to covet for more of God's presence. It's okay to desire for more truth. It's okay to want more personal connection. It's really okay. It's, God wants to satisfy us. That's what Andre said last Sunday. He wants to satisfy our soul. Amen. So what the soul truly desires, we've learned last few Sundays, is God. So what is soul prosperity? Now, I don't want to define the, the series for Andre, but I want to give you my definition. Soul prosperity is living the with God life. 
So if you are living with God, your soul is prosperous in every area of your life. But if you are living without God, your soul is impoverished. See, I, I'm a simple man. I always like to, to simplify things, right? So what's the Christian life? To hear and to obey God, all right? So what's soul prosperity? It's the with God life. If God is with you, I mean Joseph, right? Just read the story of Joseph, right? You read the story of Joseph. He was in the pit. He was in the prison. But throughout those 10 chapters of Joseph's story, there's one phrase that jumps out every time you read it. And God was with Joseph. And he prospers. So prosperity is not a circumstance word or it's, not a, uh, or, or it's not where you are. He was in the pit, he was prosperous. He was in the prison, he was prosperous. He was in Potiphar's house as a slave, he was prosperous because God was with him. So soul prosperity is living the with God life. See, we may try to fill that need with many different things and our soul will never be satisfied. It's living the with God life. See, one, one of the things I enjoy doing with joy, my love language is quality time. Now you, you know it, all right? So whenever I text you and say, free to meet up, if you turn me down, I'll feel, ah, oh, you don't love me. Right? My love, no, I'm just kidding. My love language is quality time. So one of the things I enjoy doing with joy, I don't like roller coasters or, ah, scream, you know, but I like to just go for a walk with my wife. And, we can, and it can be the same route every single day. We can just walk from our house to Tampanese Mall and walk back. And my love tank would be filled. Yay, I just love to go for a walk. See, two people in love would go for a walk. Try that. John and Mel, go for walks. But it's not really about the walk, is there? It's about the person that you are walking with. Yes, uh, it is about being with someone. I really believe that you know, I'm like God when I go for walks with my wife. Because if you remember in the garden, God would come in the cool of the eve and he would walk with men. All right? So to go for walks with your loved ones is being like God. I mean, you're just walking with the, with the person you love. See, the God of the Bible is a God who wants to be with. And our souls were made to walk with God. As simple as that. Which is why the Christian life is called what? Walking with God. If you read Paul's letters, the number of times he says, walk. Walk in the light. Walk in truth. Walk. The Christian life is really a walk. And that was the life in the garden before the fall. And what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross and we say yes to his lordship is he restored that walk back into your life. He restored that walk. See, the with God life is not a life of more religious activities. I want to say that we are not a religious church. We do we worship, that may look like religion. We teach from the Bible, that may look like religion. But it's not more religious activities or trying to be better, trying to be good. It is a life of inner peace and contentment. That is what the with God life is supposed to be. I mean, a life of shalom, a life of contentment for your soul with the maker and with the manager and the master of the universe. And you are at peace even in the midst of the storm. And see, God wants to make every moment of your life glorious with His presence. That is what soul prosperity is. 
He wants to make every moment from the, from the time you wake up to the, to the time you put your head on your pillow and you sleep at night, He wants to make every moment. Even at night, He wants to give you dreams in the night to speak to you. That's the God we serve. He's speaking every single hour, every single moment. Even at night when you sleep, He refreshes your soul. The Bible says He gave His beloved sleep. See, every part of your life, God is interested. Your work life, your love life, your, your school life, your friendships, your every area of your life, God is interested. He wants to make every moment of life glorious with His presence. This is the call of the with God life. And that's the whole point, my friends, to soul prosperity, to fill us so completely with His presence that His brilliance shines through us. Do you know that that's what the Christian life ought to look like? When you show up, light shows up. When you show up, wisdom shows up. When you show up, creativity shows up. When you show up, love shows up. He wants to fill you with Himself so that whenever you show up, wherever you show up, God's brilliance shows up. The Christian is supposed to be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're supposed to be salt, supposed to be light. You're supposed to shine a dark and perverse world. But he can't do that until you give him access into your life. If you've been to my house, you've been to my, my house, some of you, all right, many years ago, I've got very excitable children who likes to slam the, the gate and whenever this, you know, and then there was twice that I can't remember who and I wouldn't single them out, but children, full stop, right? When they slam my gate, the door, uh, the, the handle to my gate broke. All right? So if, if you come to my place, you would realize that you would face a gate from the outside with no handle. And, then, and there's only one handle and that's on the inside. And so people would ask me, hey, how come your, how do you open? So I said, this is exactly like Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> if, if anyone hears my voice, I'll open the, the door. The handle to your soul, listen, is on the inside. Wow. Say, wow! The, the handle to your soul is on the inside. See, and God is a gentleman, alright? So I love, I love that song that we sang, there's no mountain he would climb, there is no... But you, do you know there's something he cannot do? He cannot bash through the door of your heart. He can't. Because that's the God we serve. He's a gentleman. Alright? He, he, he will bring you to the end of yourself, but you, but you still have to open up the door of your soul to invite Him in. The handle to the door of your soul, is on the inside. See, God is interested in every area of your life. He's looking for access into the deepest part of your soul so that, listen, He can free you from all inhibitions. He wants to free you from the inside out so that you can live a fearless and fulfilling life. That's the God. But He wants access. He stands at the door of your heart. He's knocking. Even this morning, I believe that He's knocking at some of the doors of your heart. But only you can open that door. But like Adam and Eve, because of the fall, we're afraid. So we hide. 
All the time we are hiding. We think that God wants to expose us to shame us. We think that God wants to Tana, look at Andre and all the skeletons in, in, in his closet. Tana, look at Axel and all the mess he has made. We think that God is like some of our friends. <laughs> Cyberbullying. God wants to God wants to attack us. He wants to shame us. He wants to embarrass us. But listen, God is not like some of your friends. Because with friends like that, who needs enemies in our life, right? <laughs> I don't know, God wants to expose us so He can cover us and heal us. And there's a story in Mark chapter 3 where we see that there was a man with a withered hand, you remember? And in those days, any uh, handicap is seen as shame, all right? They are, they are, they are, they are ashamed. It's usually equated to there's a sin in your family line. And if you read the context of Scripture, any time you read whether they are, they, are, they are lepers or whether they have got no hands, withered hands, they are shameful, they hide. All right? So Jesus came, uh, it was Sabbath day, and he was being tested by the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, and there was a man with a withered hand. All right? Interestingly, Jesus could have simply just said, you know what? I heal you. Show me a complete recovered hand. No, but Jesus said, no, before I can heal you, stretch out your hand. Interesting. And we may, have, we, we may think that, oh, God is there to shame us. Jesus is there to uncover my sin. No, no, he's, he, he wants to expose our weakness so he can heal us and make us whole. Amen? There's nothing to be ashamed of. My weakness, nothing to be ashamed of. But Jesus says, stretch out your hand. This morning, is exactly what you need to do. God wouldn't force your hand out. To be whole, we need to voluntarily give God access. Amen? And that's freedom. That's freedom. There's a misconception. There's a, there's, there's a perception in the world today that Christianity stands in the way of freedom. That's a, a common perception. So my question this morning is, does God stand in the way of our freedom? Does God stand in the way? See, some of us think that to become a Christian means somebody dictates what you do, what you think, how you live. And that's a common perception. Even Christians sometimes adopt this view. They may affirm their belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior, as the Son of God, accept His gift of salvation, but they retain their freedom to decide for themselves how they should live. It's a, it's a common perception. I want to put it to you that there are two kinds of freedom. Two kinds of freedom. There's a freedom from, and this is what the culture of our day craves for. See, you don't have to be an expert to recognize that the kind of freedom our culture wants is freedom from, freedom from external restraints. I want to be free! What do you mean? Freedom from external restraints. Somebody telling me what to do. I want to be free from my parents' nagging. I want to be free from my teacher's instruction. I want to be free from the rule and the law of the land. I want to be free from, what, uh, from, 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 from sermons. I want to be free from what... Stop telling me what to do! That's what the world is craving for. Freedom from... Why there's a PG-13? I'm only 11 years old. I want to go and watch that movie. I want to be free. Why is M18? I can't wait to be 18 years old. I want, to, I, I want to go and watch. I want to be free. Is there a need for all this categorization? For more? I want to be free. 
from the laws of the land, from God's commandments. I want to be free. See, the irony is this. The, the ability to have anything you want can actually cost you your freedom. You hear me? The ability to actually have anything you want can actually cost you your freedom. Think about Samson with his unquenchable desire for Delilah. In the end, he got what he wanted. But it cost him. It cost him big time. The rich young ruler was consumed with his desire for wealth. It cost him. He could have become a disciple of Christ, but he says, no. Saul coveted the power that came with the throne. It cost him. Cain wanted revenge. He got it. it cost him. So to be free from external restraints can sometimes, can sometimes be very costly. Now, there's a teaching in the church today that says the law is bad. Now, can I su- suggest to you that that's incomplete? Now, the law is, is incomplete to our salvation. It's imperfect for us. Can I see the, the verse on the screen? It's imperfect for our salvation. It can bring us to a point of need. But the law of the Lord is actually good. That's what the Bible says. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Next verse, please. Psalm 119 says, I long for your salvation, Lord, and your law gives me delight. Strange. It's either we are looking at two different gods, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. It's the same God. All right? The law is incomplete, but the law is actually good. The law refreshes the soul. But some of us think, are you sure? It seems more like the law oppresses the soul. The law gives me delight. What would, why did the psalmist say that? Can I suggest to you that the Ten Commandments were never designed to be a standalone list of rules? Never de- designed. It was, not, it was not supposed to be like house rules. You can do this, you can't do that, you can do this without a relational context. You hear me? Everything in the Bible is relational. God is relational. If you, if you take relationships out of, out of the law, it gets confusing. It becomes legalistic. It all becomes what you can do, what you can't do. But if you put relationship in the center of the Ten Commandments, it all makes sense. It comes with a relational context. See, we read the Ten Commandments as this is what you have to do or you'll be punished. This is what you must do. Like you're listening to a schoolmaster. But God was actually saying... In context, when it was given, this is who you are. This is who you are. You are made to worship only one God. You are made to love and to be faithful to your wife. You are made not to murder, but to have a relationship with people. You are made not to be covetous. This is who you are. They flow out of how we were designed, who we were meant to be. See, Listen, this, listen, listen. This is, this is why we don't so much break the commandments of the Lord as much as we break ourselves when we violate them. You get that? The problem, and that's a great post on Andre's Facebook. I love it. I love it so much that I actually take a screenshot and I save it. All right, It's the difference between legalism and discipline. I love it. I, I, and I thought to myself, how I wish someone taught me that when I was like 25. All right, and there was this journey about, oh, legalism, man. Uh, it means that I'm free from all restraints. No. 
There's a verse in the Bible that says, do not remove the ancient landmarks. Boundaries are very important and God's word sets the boundaries for us to protect us, right? Have you been to some forested areas in Singapore? There's no forest here, right? But just forested. And you see restricted. And sometimes you see a, 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 a soldier with a, with a gun, right? When you see that, will you go in? Was, was the sign there to restrain you or to protect you? Come on, help me preach. To protect us. Not to restrain us. Because you were not meant to go into that forest facing friendly fire without your gear on. So it's there to protect you. When it says deep water, don't, don't go beyond this point. Is that to limit you from enjoying the depth of the ocean? No, it's to protect you. I still remember when I was in, when, when I was in uh, Australia, Gold Coast for my honeymoon many years ago. All right, and we were, Joy and I just put our foot into the water and the siren went off. It was a shark warning, right? And there's the Pacific Ocean. We travel all the way from Singapore to Australia. We were not as flexible back in those days because we didn't have the resource. But I was, it's the Pacific Ocean. I could have said, who cares, man? Sharks, I'm bigger than the sharks. I can just go and swim against the shark. I'm... You guess what we did? We got off the water. We went back to the hotel. We went to the pool in the hotel because we were all changed. So we might as well get ourselves wet. But we didn't go against uh, the warning. And that's why the psalmist says in Psalm 119, I will obey, I, I will obey, I will always obey your law forever and ever. Is it, is it a voluntary obedience or is it like you know, someone twists his arm and said, you have to obey, man. Oh, I will, yes. I, I, no, it's a voluntary obedience because the psalmist knows that the law is good. Amen. And the next verse is very interesting. And the next verse says, I will, And I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. It's different from what we're hearing today in the body of Christ. I will obey your law, and I will walk about in freedom. Those two phrases seem to be on contrary, you know, totally opposite in our day, day and age, but it's not. God's word sets the boundary for our lives. The problem is we cannot do it in our own strength. That's why we need God in our lives. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need, to, we need God to actually empower us to live a victorious life. But don't let anyone tell you that, that God's law is bad. Now, legalism is wrong. But God's word is complete. It gives us our standard for living. It's there to protect us. Somebody say, Amen. It's who you are. You are designed. To live like that. So may I suggest to you that true freedom comes when you embrace God's overall design for the world and a place in it. It comes when you embrace it and say, this is, this is how I'm designed. Yes. I want to give a verse to all parents here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 3. And we all know these verses quite well. And this is what the Bible says, These are the commands, decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Listen, they are, this is what Moses said, 
when you go into the land, it's a place of plenty. It's a fulfillment of the promises. And there is a set of commands, decrees, and laws that I am supposed to teach you to observe. Why? So that your children, you, and their children after them may fear or revere the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you. If you stop there, we may think God is just a taskmaster, He's a policeman. No. If you read on, it says, so that you may enjoy long life. It's for us to enjoy long life. If you break the law, you shorten your lifespan. That's what the Bible is saying. So hear, O Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. See, that's what I'm saying. If we obey God, obedience that's voluntary is actually for us to enjoy long life, to increase us greatly. And can I say this to you, that conviction is good. It is not just the pain of getting caught or pain over the consequences. Conviction, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is there to convict us. The conviction, conviction is actually a God-given ache in our soul for goodness. It's a God-given ache in our soul. We want to be like God. We want to live like God when we're convicted. You know, I never knew what conviction is until I became a Christian. Never. Which means it's a gift. When I became a believer, sounds like an oxymoron, but when I say yes to Jesus, the first time I was vulgar, conviction, it wasn't there. I said, wow, God, this is strange. It wasn't there. I was so free to be rude to my parents, to, to uh, be angry at people, to cheat in exams, to tell lies, to steal, to lose my cool when I lose a table tennis game, I throw the racket on the floor. I was free to do whatever I want, but... God, why, why, is, why is there conviction? Why is there seemingly an unseen restraint in my life? It's a gift that I received when I became a Christian. It's a God-given ache for goodness. I want to be like Jesus. And Jesus doesn't lie. Jesus doesn't steal. Jesus wasn't proud. Jesus wasn't rude to his parents. And God, whenever I go astray, whenever I go out of line, I pray that there will be conviction in my soul so I can be aligned to your perfect design for me. Amen. For me, I want to live like Jesus. God, I cannot do it in my own strength. That's why I need you. That's why. That brings me to a second kind of freedom. It's not just a freedom from, but it's a freedom for. A freedom for see your freedom is not restricted simply by external constraints. You know that in a in a land where you are you can do whatever you want, there is still a freedom that's limited by an internal reality. Listen carefully. There's still a sense of brokenness, of weakness inside us. There's still this sense that you can do whatever we want, but yet something on the inside tells us we are not really free. We are not really free. We are free from external constraints. Who cares what my parents say? Who cares? That's exactly what happened during the, the Jesus People movement. They, 
free sex, free drugs, no, don't make war, make love, they just do whatever they want, and yet there's a brokenness on the inside with Jesus, then powerfully by His Spirit filled, and millions came to Christ. Because that freedom from external restraints didn't fulfill them on the inside. There's an ache inside them, a freedom for something bigger, for something greater. See, friends, listen, if our will is enslaved to our appetites, if our thoughts are are obsessed with unfulfilled desires, if our emotions are slaves to our circumstances, if our habits contradict the values we profess, then listen, our soul is not free. Our soul is not free. You want to do what's right. You can't. You want to. Our soul is not free. Friends, if you want to live a happy, cheerful, optimistic life, but you don't. If you want to be free from all the yelling at your kids and losing control of yourself and discipline your child, but you don't. If you want to be free from anger and from frustration when your employee doesn't do a good job, but you don't. If you want to just be happy, go lucky, and if you want to love Andre when he says something that convicts you, but you can't. I mean, in different things like that, you can't do it. Then can I suggest to your soul is not free? You are not free. You want to be unselfish, to be selfless, but you cannot. Then your soul is not free. When someone comes against you and, you and you need to retaliate, when you know that inside you, I should love, then your soul is not free. The freedom we lack is an internal freedom. It's not a freedom from restraints. That's why we all got it wrong. We thought the more we are free from external restraints, then the more free we are. No, the freedom that we lack is an internal freedom. It's, the, it's, it's a deeper freedom. It's the freedom that, that the soul needs. It's the freedom for becoming the person I was designed to be. The freedom for living the kind of life I was made to live. A freedom for a bigger life. Abundant life. In God, that's what we are craving for. That's what the soul is longing for. Amen. And yet the greatest irony, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to my message, and the, and the greatest, I learned it from this man in front, blame him, not me, alright. The great irony about freedom is this. Listen, we want to be free. To become truly free, you must surrender. See, surrender is not a popular concept. It goes against everything we think. Have you ever gone to a football match and your favorite team say, I surrender, I surrender, before they they play? No, they put up a good fight. Right? You go into a battle, I surrender. No, surrender is not a popular concept, but... Can I suggest to us, and from my life experience, that surrender is the only way to achieve freedom for your soul. So, this morning, the title of my message is, There's Freedom in Surrender. Don't you like that? I learned from the best. I'm a good learner. I'm a disciple of Christ. A disciple of Andre Tan. There's freedom in surrender. Matthew chapter 11. Let's look at, uh, before I land, 
Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. This is one of the most interesting verses. You have heard these verses in this series a couple of times, but let's just, just let me explain it. Come to me, the Bible says, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. We've all tried. Our soul has tried to be free in our own strength, right? We want to be free. Heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. First of all, let me define what a yoke is. And can I be very, very clear that Jesus is not talking about egg yoke. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's not that I'm frying an egg for you, my yoke is easy. It's not easy, it's, it's not, right? A yoke, an egg yoke, is the, is the yellow part of an egg. Just in case you don't know, right? It's spelled Y-O-L-K. This is Y-O-K-E. Got it? Revelation. <laughs> it's a new level. All right. Jesus is talking about a yoke. So what exactly is a yoke? Look at the screen. This is what a yoke look, look like. All right. That metal, I actually wanted to bring it. And I wanted Shuen and a few people to help me like preach this message. All right. To... For them to be the ox and to have a yoke between them, all right? But this is what a yoke, this is what a yoke is, sorry. Shuen, what, what a yoke is. Webster def- uh, defines a yoke as a bar or frame that is, a, that, is a, that is attached to the heads or necks of two work animals such as, an ox, such, such as oxen so that they can pull a plow or a heavy load. That's what a, that's what a yoke is. And so when Jesus said, this is what my yoke looks like. Yoke to me. And the yoke, listen, was designed to limit the animal's movement to moving in the same direction. Get it? In the same direction and dispersing the load between them. It's designed to limit the animal's movements to move in the same direction and dispersing the load between them. See, the yoke upon an animal meant work is coming. It was meant, it, it meant that a lord was to be moved, whether it's a kind of people, goods, it meant that you have to pull a plow through the dirt. It was heavy, burdensome on the animal. And Jesus was saying here that, hey, there's a heavy yoke that you've been bearing. So what exactly was this heavy yoke that Jesus was re- re- referring to? He was referring to the yoke of the Pharisees, the yoke of legalism, all right? It's the burdensome yoke of self-righteousness and legalistic law-keeping. And they keep adding to the number of laws. And the, and the Pharisees were hypocrites. They put laws on people that they, didn't, that they themselves can't keep. But when the people break the law, they come down hard on the people. And Jesus is saying, I want to free you from this yoke of legalism. So what, so what does he mean when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? What, what is he talking about? He's, he's saying, hey, if you yoke to me, my yoke is easier than the yoke of legalism. It's the yoke, than, than the yoke of doing what's right, what's wrong, what's right, what's wrong. Now I'm, so I laid the foundation by saying that the law is not bad, but it's impossible for us to keep it. And so Jesus is saying that's a better way. And that's how you can be free. All right, so what is the yoke that he's talking about? Before I tell you the answer, right, easy is not a circumstance word. If you think that the Christian life is supposed to be easy, sorry, not true. Easy is not an assignment work. 
It's not that my assignment will be easy. See, the soul was not made for an easy life. That's truth. But the soul was made for an easy yoke. It wasn't made for an easy life, it was made for an easy yoke. And so what was Jesus talking about? Jesus, on come, is actually saying, yoke yourself to me and walk with me. Follow my lead. But you've got to walk with me. I'm the bigger ox. I'm stronger than you. I am powerful. I am led by my Father. I'm spirit-filled. You are weak. You are... You are, you are lost. You are strange in your thinking sometimes. You think the wrong things. Ungodly belief, wrong belief, but walk with me. All right, but do you know what? The soul can resist. And you look at him, he's bigger. I'm smaller. So, you know, if he resists, if he, if he doesn't surrender to my yoke, then, you know, then we are, we are, we're going nowhere. And I say, Andre, your destiny is over there. Look at that, that handsome guy in... in, uh, in Blue, that's where we are going. He's Jesus. He's what good looks like. Go there, but Andre resists. I say, follow me. You are yoked to me, but he can keep resisting. So until he surrendered to my yoke and said, I'll walk with you. I'll take your lead. See, the burden was no longer to maintain 600 plus laws and all the extras, but I'll work now. The soul's work, the soul's real freedom, I know it's so simple. It's it's found in walking with Jesus to live the with God life. And that requires surrender. Yoke to me is easy. There's no long list of you can do this, you can do that, you can't do this, you can't do that. But simply walk with me. Let's plow the field together. Let's build the church together. Let's win the loss together. Let's love people together. Let's, let's transform nations together. Let's, let's impact cultures together. Let's make a difference in marriages together. We can do it together. It's not a list of rules. It's simply taking my lead. Yoke to me. My yoke is easy. You just have to follow my lead. It's easy. That's true freedom. But we resist because we think we know better. We, we think we know how to get you know, there faster. We think we know the shortcut. We think that, why are you taking me on a detour? Come on, walk with me. So as I close, I want to give you three points. What freedom does? A person who is truly free, I, I won't go into a lot of uh, stuff that I have, but a person who is truly free is free to choose purpose over popularity. It's free to choose purpose over popularity. Now, we may think that's a very easy choice. But if we're honest to ourselves, in so many ways, being popular is driving our culture. Yes? The number of friends on Facebook, the number of likes on Instagram, the number of times your video or your post has been shared. If the picture or the post isn't liked or shared, you feel, you feel insecure, you feel inferior. 
Why hasn't and why didn't people like it? Is it because of my face? Is it because of my dress? Is it because why hasn't people shared? Is it because I'm not popular? Maybe I need to post something else. And we are driven to be popular. And when our self-worth and our value is determined, listen, by the number of likes, shares, hashtags, comments we get on social media, then we are choosing popularity over purpose. When we live to please other people at all costs, we are choosing popularity over purpose. And the fact is this, that popularity is fleeting and all it does you know, is to bring disappointment and pain. And when I talk about purpose this morning, can I say this? I'm not talking about big purpose, your life calling, your life mission, what am I made to do. I'm talking about simple everyday purpose. Loving people, knowing Jesus, caring for the lost, reaching people that need us to reach. I mean, small, simple purpose. See, Moses was a man who chose purpose over popularity. It made all the difference. You you knew Moses. Moses grew up in the palace. He was a slave. He was adopted by uh, Pharaoh. He became the grandson of Pharaoh. He grew up with all the rights, with all uh, the privileges of royalty. He could have chosen a life of prestige, a life of pleasure, a life of power, a life of popularity. But at some point, listen, he realized that God had given or created him for something more and he chose purpose over being popular. And that's what the Bible says in Hebrews 11 verses 24 to 20. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose purpose over popularity. Um, And likewise, their early disciples, when they followed the commission of Jesus to go and Change the world, win the loss, and they were captured, they were thrown into prison, and when they were released, this is what they said in Acts chapter 5, that we must obey God rather than men. See, following Jesus at times, many times, you wouldn't be popular. But you have to choose purpose over popularity. And a truly free person chooses purpose over popularity. Next, next point, we are free to, to choose discipline over regret. See, discipline is painful. Hmm. Discipline is painful. Everyone struggles with the lack of, dis- of, of, of discipline because it's painful. There is a reason for that. No matter what we choose when it comes to discipline, there will be pain. Hello? There is a pain when we choose to live with discipline, but there is a greater pain when we don't. Discipline is painful. Discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Let me repeat that. Discipline is choosing what you want now and what you want most. So discipline over regret is a choice we face if you are free in many areas of your life. Diet. (laughs) Let's make this practical. We must choose the pain of giving up Arnold's fried chicken. Let's just move into our neighborhood. I'm preaching. We want to eat Arnold's fried chicken now. But we have to give it up. It's the discipline and the pain over the pain of diseases later in life. In Jesus' name. 
Relationships. We can live with the pain of going slow, making godly decisions, involving your leaders and young people, your parents. As we look for the right person. Or we can experience the pain of regret when we when the relationship comes to an end and we find the right person but we look back and over the mistakes we've made along the way. What do you want the, to, to endure the pain now or the greater pain later? Finances. Discipline in our spending now means choosing what we want now. New phone, new clothes, new cars, stuff. New soft toys. Hello Kitty when it's the in thing. I mean, just buy stuff over what we want most. Debt free. Saving for retirement. Early retirement so you can be involved in the work of the ministry. Whatever you want. It's choosing what you want now over what you want most. And a truly free person who has surrendered his options to the Lord can choose discipline over regret. That's what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, For for this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's just a light, momentary affliction. Young person, not dating at 15 years old, is a light, momentary affliction. (laughs) Parents! Not buying that, sorry, I wouldn't go there, that, that extra toy, PlayStation, <laughs> it's a light, momentary affliction. I'm, look, I'm speaking to the parents, uh, not to the kids, because now, young, now parents also, also play PlayStation, right? <laughs> it's a light, momentary affliction. I can go on, but let's move on. So what do you want most when it comes to faith? Do you want to live close to, to Jesus, know His will, hear, hear His voice, live like Jesus? Then make the right choice. You are free to choose faith now over pleasure. What do you want most when it comes to your family? Want strong marriage? Choose. Hey, I'm pastoring, right? So can I just be pastoral for a few moments? Choose. Invest in merit for life. Go for the 12, 13 weeks. Endure the pain now. Equip yourself with tools before you need them. Don't give me that thing, alright? I've got no time. It's a choice. You are free. I've chosen in the last three years, I've chosen to go for five rounds of merit for life parents for life and my kids are saying to me dad and mom what's wrong with your marriage (laughs) and I said nothing's wrong we are being more in love now than ever we choose we chose the come on choose choose to equip yourself now before your faith comes to a head to a to a to a a setback alright choose what do you want most when it comes to your future? Healthy, enjoy the rest of your days that God has given us. Choose to be free from the physical li- limitations that wrong food, bad diet, wrong relationships will cost you. Choose. My last point as I come to a close. Free to choose the important over the urgent. Do you know, as Andre has mentioned to us, a soul that's in a flux all the time. We're always living from the urgent to the urgent to the urgent to the urgent. We're always in a state of constant motion and business and we feel like we're making a difference. We feel like we are changing the world, living with purpose at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of our lives. So we realize, 
We accomplish nothing. We're just like a rat on the treadmill or the mouse on the treadmill. It's going round and round and we're going nowhere and we've just been choosing the urgent over the important. But we can't help it. We need to do this and that. Our children need us to take them for, for, for uh, tuition and for, you know, and, and, and for ballet and for piano lessons and for swimming. We've got no time for cell group for the children. No time to send them for Bible classes. No time. Come on. Choose the important over the urgent. We read about Martha and Mary last Sunday. Martha and Mary both loved Jesus. It's not whether they, are, they did the right thing or the wrong thing, but Mary chose the better part. It's not about serving is right, serving is wrong, worship is right, worship is wrong, but it comes to the important. Worship overrides. Just senseless serving. And Mary has chosen the better part. As I, as I close, what is important in, my, in life to me? It may not be for you, but can I just share from my life what's important in my life? To tend to the health of my soul. To be free and whole on the inside. Discover my life purpose. I'll take time to do that. Discover my life purpose. Why am I made? Why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Spend myself on the kingdom of God. Spend myself, my, my waking hours, my resources, my time. I'll spend myself on the kingdom of God. I'll prioritize God's kingdom, His great commandment of loving people, loving souls, loving, loving nations. Live the great commission. These are all important to me. You, a soul that's free chooses the important over the urgent. Band on stage, please. As I wrap this up, As I was driving here, or my wife was driving me here because I was preparing my message. Praise God for a, a wife who can drive. <laughs> the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Hey, Daniel, remember, who's the freest person in the Bible, in the Gospel? Uh, of course, it's a no-brainer, Jesus, right? Jesus is the freest soul. And the Holy Spirit said, Remember the temptations of Christ? I said, Yes. Do you realize, see, it's, I love it when, the, when God gives you Bible study, right? All in a split moment. He says, do you realize that Jesus chose purpose over popularity? I said, tell me more, Holy Spirit. He says, the devil came and tempted him and he says, jump down, angels will come and bear you up. And then everyone would know you will become a meme, right? I learned that. <laughs> On social media, everyone the whole world would know that you are the Son of God. But Jesus said, I, 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 can't, I don't know how to use that word, so I'm just trying it. You need to use it. It's not Mimi, it's not Mimi, it's Mim. Alright, so Jesus says, hey, you shall not tempt God. He chose purpose over being popular. Jesus chose discipline over regret. He said, the, the devil came and said, turn that, turn that stone into bread. Eat it. Come on. You have got the power to do that. You can. But he, but he says, no, man should not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceeded out from the mouth of God. He chose discipline at a moment when he was weakest. He chose to obey God. Over regret. And Jesus chose the important over the urgent. 
devil said, bow down to me. I'll give you the kingdom now. You can spare yourself the cross, the pain, the betrayal, the three and a half years of walking with 12 losers. You can spare yourself all these. Have a shortcut. Just bow down. I know what you're here for. You want the kingdom back that Adam lost. You, I can give it back to you. Just spare yourself the pain. Spare yourself the cross. You can do it now. Split, split second at this very moment. He says, no. You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you worship. And Jesus at the weakest point of his life, when his world was collapsing, his body was at the weakest, his soul was strong. And he chose freedom. He was free to surrender his appetite. He was free to surrender his will. He was free to surrender his life afresh to the Lord in his weakest moment. Let's all stand to our feet. I just hope that that's helpful. I pray that you will just put that you will just go on this pursuit. Next sun, next Sunday, part five. So I've learned that it is a journey. It's a journey, but you must first begin on this journey. In this journey, you will stumble and fall. The devil would come and whisper things in your ears like how he did Jesus hey I thought you're a good Christian I thought you're the son of God I thought you know I, th- I thought this I thought that listen you can, I- you can either give in to all these voices or you can pick yourself up take a few steps forward respond to the voice of love in your spirit and say God I wanna just go on this journey into freedom My soul wants to be free, not from the outside in, from the inside out. I want to be free, not from external restraint, but from this internal battle. I want to be free, free to obey you, free to delight in your laws, free to enjoy your presence. There's no shame. There is no condemnation. There There is no confusion. I'm just free because human sunsets free is free indeed. Just pray in the Spirit for a moment where you are.